welcome to Best Worst Movies, the podcast where I invite friends on to talk about their favorite terrible movies. Uh, I'm joined today by my longtime movie-loving friend, Rob Stennett. Rob's an author and a screenwriter and the host of the excellent podcast, The Meaning of the Movie. We've been friends for about a decade, and I'm super excited to talk to him today because this is a movie that I also happen to love. So welcome to the pod, Rob. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. Absolutely. When I talk to you, we kind of like tossed around a few different bad movies, but I love the one you came up with. So why don't you go ahead and introduce that for us? Well, I feel like I'm breaking your podcast like right away by doing this movie because I think <laughs> I think here's the problem. Some people are going to see this movie on the list and they're going to say like, this is not a bad movie. And when I was researching movies of what to do, I was thinking about Police Academy. I was thinking about, you know, some, a few different ones, but I was pretty sold that I wanted to do an 80s comedy. Right. And then I had a horrific moment where I stumbled upon Three Amigos and saw it had a 45% tomato meter score on rotten tomatoes and ebert himself the goat critic gave it one star not like two two and a half one star and i was like this is considered a bad movie maybe by everyone but me and i need to come on this podcast and defend it yeah i i was baffled when you're sitting there and sending me things and you sent three amigos i was like how is it possible that this is a bad movie that can't be right. Yeah, it's to me, I was like, oh, this is like one of the great 80s comedies. I'm a Gen Xer and so kind of grew up in 80s comedies and they mean a lot to me. And so I could talk about Ghostbusters. I could talk about What About Bob? I could talk about Caddyshack. But Three Amigos is like right there on the Mount Rushmore of 80s comedies for me. And so I was like, I need to come on this podcast everywhere else and defend this movie. The other thing is it seems to have, we talked about this a little bit, but it kind of seems to have disappeared some like you can't find it on any streaming service. Even the version I rented it on Amazon and it seemed kind of like old film stocky. It was like, Oh, this, (laughs) this is not three amigos in 4k or anything else like that. (laughs) Maybe everyone wanted to bury this movie, but I'm here to like, let's have a three amigos revival. Go watch this movie, rent it, get it from your library, whatever it takes, because it's worth watching this film. Absolutely. So one of the things I want to start with is just reading some lines from some of the critical reviews of these movies. But the one that really stuck out to me was from uh, Jay Boyer, who was writing for the Orlando Sentinel. And he said, the happy-go-lucky Three Amigos is a picture to see when your expectations are down and you've already been to everything that's good. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> like baffling to me (laughs) i mean it's such a like drive-by it's like if you've seen every other movie you possibly could see and you have nothing left to do there's three amigos that's essentially what he's saying that is no it's just super wrong (laughs) yeah and, and so many of the critics lines were mean and harsh i mean i had to pick a line from ebert's review itself which the whole review is really bizarre and Here's the thing about Ebert. I I love him. I love his reviews. I love what he's... He's the only film critic, I think, to have won the Pulitzer Prize. And so he has added so much into my life as a film goer. And I think he's near perfect. His one Achilles heel is comedies. I don't think Roger Ebert really understood comedy. And in this movie, in this review, he said, this movie is too confident, too relaxed, 
and too clever to be really funny. And yet when the cowboys sit around the campfire singing their sad lament and then their horses join in, you see where this movie could have gone. And I think there's two things about this review that stick out to me. One, it's like too confident and too clever. It's like, no, that's what you want in a comedy. And two, the, the scene he points out is maybe one of my least favorite scenes in the movie. And so I'm like, the one scene that didn't quite resonate with me, that's the scene that he's like, now that's comedy. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's bizarre to me. Yeah, because it was definitely one, I, I agree, that same scene. And I'll, I'll talk about it later because it, it was the one, especially when I was young and saw this, because, okay, so this came out in 1986. So I was personally in sixth grade when this came out. And I'm not sure that I saw it right then, but I was still middle school age when I saw this movie. And that scene, even then, was kind of eh to me. Yeah, I remember checking out when that scene happened. I was like, ah, I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, and to me, it's like so bizarre that that's what Ebert loved. And for me, like, I did see it in fourth grade. And it's one okay. of the first movies that I remember seeing in the theaters with my friends. And I'm sitting by my friends. And what was so interesting was... Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, these were movies that I was not really allowed to watch. Like I wasn't allowed to watch The Jerk or Caddyshack or that, but I knew them from the VHS covers. Like these guys were almost famous to me because I saw them in the VHS covers. And so when I finally got to sit in the theater and watch them on the full screen, I was like, you know what? The VHS covers were right. These guys are amazing and hilarious. And I fell in love with that movie. And so that for sure is part of the reason it that movie means so much to me even to this day right yeah because that's that's it like when i think about some of these old movies and some just terrible movies in general a lot of it has to do with the when you see them for sure yeah and i think about this one and i remember watching it and it's one that i think probably the first version i watched was probably maybe recorded off of television or something. So it had some of the jokes like bleeped out or whatever. I think of the uh, mail truck joke that (laughs) Martin Short says. And I think that was probably bleeped out somewhere in one of the recordings that I watched over and over and over and over. But yeah, I've seen this movie so many times. Like I probably haven't watched it until just a couple of days ago when I sat and watched it with uh, my husband and my 21 year old stepdaughter and i was kind of like oh what's she gonna think about this 1986 movie um (laughs) and we all just laughed the whole way through it and i i am amazed at how much of it i remembered i think that was the thing that shocked me watching it because i probably haven't watched it in oh I don't a long time, maybe twenty years. It's been a minute since I've watched this movie. But oh my goodness, it all just came right back. <laughs> it's one of those movies, almost like an album for me, where it's like, oh, I remember laughing at this joke. I remember how old I was. And like I've shown it to my kids once or twice because I don't know, maybe I'm a great parent or a bad parent. I'll let you <laughs> listeners decide. <laughs> but um I've shown it to my kids because it's just a great like family movie night hang that's something a little bit different than watching Ratatouille for the 45th time. And so um, (laughs) it's fun, but, but I do think like, yeah, definitely. And I think with a lot of these movies that you're going to cover on this podcast, so much of it is like, Oh, I saw it then. And now I know it's bad, but you know, whatever else. But for me, I'm like, no, it was funny then. And I still think it works. And one thing I wanted to highlight real quick is the talent behind this movie. Of course there's Steve Martin, there's Chevy Chase, there's Martin Short, 
but also Lorne Michaels himself, the like grand- godfather of Saturday Night Live. This guy, this is his movie. Like, I I think it's maybe his only movie, but he was actually going to leave Saturday Night Live and go into movie makings. And maybe because this movie was bombed or wasn't as well received and SNL needed him, he came back. But that's a huge fork in the road moment, right? Like, we don't get maybe Will Ferrell. We don't get Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and Bill Hader and this whole legacy of guys if Mm -hmm. Lorne Michael doesn't go and save Saturday Night Live. And so there's just so many great stars and Hollywood power players that were a part of this movie. Oh yeah, for sure. I sat there and uh, it it always kind of catches me off guard when you see, you know, the young Joe Montana in right. That. Um, you know, yeah, John Lovitz. It's just oh, it's and so Phil Hartman. Phil I mean, Hartman. Yeah, exactly. So it has just this fantastic, and I don't even know that all of them. At that point in 86, I don't know if they were on the cast of SNL yet. Yeah. Maybe right around then, but oh my gosh. You all can fact check it and look into it. I don't, Phil Hartman, it was like right around when he was coming on. I think Lovitz may have been on the cast by then, but yeah, these were like baby players on SNL, you know, and Phil Hartman to me is like (sighs) maybe one of the all time Saturday Night Live. Uh, stars he's in my top four or five for sure um, 100 yeah. he just consistently made me laugh an incredible story an incredible lost loss when we lost him but like Seriously. just i forgot he was in this movie and seen him pop up i was like oh man love <laughs> <Yeah>. that guy <laughs> he immediately makes look like oh now it's funny you're even funnier yeah yeah so one of the things that we had talked about was playing devil's advocate and trying to defend the critics like why is this movie bad and i'll be honest this is an incredibly difficult question for me in this movie because i don't think it's bad (laughs) yeah most i think a lot of the movies that you'll cover be like okay we know this is bad but we kind of ironically like it right like it in spite of its badness i genuinely think the writing the comedy, like everything in this movie works. I, even the music, I want to take a oh, moment, excellent. Randy Newman's involved, but like the songs and the score, I literally looked on Spotify to try to find the music because I was like, I just want to listen to that score driving around and I couldn't find it. And I was like, this is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was funny when I was watching it this time, I looked to see who played the uh, singing Bush, and it is Randy Newman. Wow. Just wonderful. (laughs) When he just goes through all of these classic folk songs. And and you'll be coming around the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely wonderful. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, Here's the one thing I'll say to defend the critics, which is I'm so curious of how these guys in 1986 were reviewing movies. But I think comedies are meant to be seen with a group of th- people. And if you've ever seen a comedy in an empty theater and a comedy in a full theater, you can see one that's totally hilarious, but you're sitting by yourself and it's not that funny. And then the same exact movie in a packed out theater and you're like, oh, I get it. And I come to life. So that's part of what I wonder is like, were they just seeing it in empty theaters? Were they just having a bad day? Do they want everything to be taxi driver? Like, I don't know <laughs> why, like, why this movie got so hated. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It is, it is baffling. Um, So one of the things I was wondering is 
on a rewatch, especially of a movie from 1986. So we're talking about a minute. Uh, do you feel like it holds up or is there anything that you liked in the past that now you're kind of like, eh, maybe not so much or, you know, how does it compare to the fourth grade Rob watching this movie? So I think like a lot of the slapsticky stuff I really liked, you know, like I think when they're riding on the edge of the airplane and they're both sitting on the wings, like when I was in fourth grade, I found that hilarious. And this time I found it a little goofy. I'm like, okay, that's weird. But there's, but for me, vice versa, there's so many like wordplay jokes that there were and that sort of stuff, lines and zingers that really worked for me. And so I think on rewatches, like um, I, it's not that I like it anymore. It's just that I appreciate it differently. Um, And, and I also, you know, just noted again, like, I think going back to the critic thing, like I actually went and did a deep dive of like other comedies. And I found that like Tommy boy has a 41% on the tomato meter. Billy Madison is 41%. I'm not saying it's Tommy boy, but, but it's a funny movie. And I was just like, man, so many times critics, just are off on comedies maybe they're the hardest thing of all of them to judge because comedy is so subjective um but for me personally like there was stuff that worked when i was in fourth grade and there's stuff that works for me now that just plays differently i think one of the things that really shocked me when i was watching it because i'm sitting there with a 21 year old you know gen zer here and I had this little moment where I was like, oh, gosh, this is a 1986 movie oh, yeah. with three white guys and they go to Mexico. And how horrifying is this? And what kind of brown face happened that I don't remember and didn't pay attention to right. when I was <laughs> in sixth grade? And I'm looking at the cast and this is like a primarily Latinx cast whenever, you know, for all of the roles. For sure. So, and there's really very little that I sat there and was like, oh, this is so cringy or so inappropriate. And I would never want my kids to see this kind of thing. Like, just in terms of like, yeah, political correctness or whatever you want to call it, it's still, even for a 1986 movie, and there are many from that time that do not hold up well, uh, have not aged well. I feel like this one really has. And I think that was one of the things that like kind of blew my mind when I was watching it as well, is just this ability for it to have been a funny movie. That's not mean spirited. That doesn't like play on a lot of like racist jokes kind of things, anything like that. It's just genuinely funny. And I find that fantastic about that made me like love it even more quite honestly as a significantly older viewer now well the only one who's the butt of the joke is the three white guys right like they're the they're the goofy ones the the villagers are so sweet and endearing the people of santa poco they're Mm -hmm. just like they're great they're you know they're kind of dry the little boy comes up may i have your watch when you are dead like there's just So many great things. And, um, you know, and El Guapo and all of his men, like they're just rough cowboys. You know, they could be dudes from a Clint Eastwood movie, but these are guys in Mexico. So maybe a Robert Rodriguez movie. Like these are dudes who are just rough, bad teeth. But I'm like, they're they're playing it straight. They're not playing it for brown face. They're not playing it uh, making fun of them. It's just like, no, these are cowboys and these are humble villagers. 
and these white guys and their sparkly, awkward costumes are just entering their world and the jokes are on the white guys, as it should be. Like, that's where the comedy comes from. Right, yeah. I think that was, it really was. That was one of the things that just kind of struck me in a rewatch now with just, you know, where we are at this point. It was just, it was so fun just to watch this. And like I said, with somebody who I was low-key concerned about when I first put it on. but Yeah, the only know. thing that's aged kind of funnily is, like, nobody in this movie speaks Spanish. Like, there's very little Spanish in Mexico, which I did write that down in my notes. I was like, uh, why is nobody speaking Spanish? Right. <laughs> but overall, yeah, that that just made me made me super happy. Um, um, so... In, in a rewatch recently, what stood out as kind of your favorite scene or your favorite part of this? I think when I was a kid, my favorite scene was My Little Buttercup, um, which still is just comedy gold. What makes that scene work so well is the German guy comes in, gets made fun of, shoots everybody up, and then the guys walk in. And it's it's such a beautiful setup. They think everyone in the bar is starstruck and it's just a satire on like the vanity of Hollywood, which is like, oh, we're the most important people in the world. And so they're just playing into it. And and it adds to the comedy that these three guys were legitimately like some of the most famous guys in the world at the time. And so but they're just playing in it like we know we're a big deal. And go ahead, Dusty, jump on the piano. That whole scene, like even the first part just plays so funny. And then when they're, you know, playing the like I've watched it with my kids when they're singing the song and my little buttercup, it just, <laughs> it, it's great. It's great comedy. Um, I think for me, like now, like um, I pick up on a lot of the more like filmy stuff in it. Like the silent mm-hmm. film at the very beginning is so funny of just like <laughs> how awkward and goofy it is. Um, and then I love like uh, even Chevy Chase has some great lines in this. Uh, and he, he, like one of my favorite lines is when, El Guapo's like going through all his friends. He's like, oh, we did this and we did this. And then Chevy Chase is like, oh, we did this. And he's still trying to make stuff up. And he's like, and we raped the horses. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, and we rode off on the women. And they're like, yeah. And finally he's like, who the hell are you? You know, <laughs> The hedges? Yeah. Oh. What about you? What, what jumped out to you as favorite part or maybe that's changed from before? I will say my favorite part back in the day was the invisible horseman when (laughs) chevy chase kills the invisible horseman i don't know what it is about uh steve martin's delivery when he says you killed the invisible horseman it just destroys me every time and i gotta be honest i think that's probably still one of my favorite scenes. I just, something about that is so absurd. And it's not something that I would think would be one of my favorite scenes, but oh my goodness, it just, the absurdity I think of it just cracks me up so much. Because I think in so many of these epic movies or whatever, you know, you have to do this quest and you have to like beat this little puzzle or whatever. And they turn it on its head to these absurd things if you go and you find this singing bush and it's just literally a bush they can't get the bush to tell them that it's the singing bush and they're like well yeah i'm gonna just assume that this bush that's singing is the singing bush that to me is funny and then the summoning of the invisible swordsman and then the subsequent immediate death of him is just 
super i don't know why that cracks me up but it super does so i think part of what makes that joke work so well and so many times watching this movie i was like these guys are masters at comedy to just know like how comedy works right. and what makes it work to me is each one of those three guys they they do one i don't even remember why they're like saying the spell and they have to say it exactly like it and they have it written in their notepad like i don't even remember all the things that like lead up to that moment and i don't think they explain it very well but essentially like they're holding the notepad and you know martin short is just like you know he does this whole like (laughs) chant (laughs) just insane and then steve martin gets on and his the best he's like parley 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 (laughs) and then he shoots up and then chevy chase is just like which is kind of his character through the whole movie. He just can't be bothered by it. And so he's like right. half-heartedly giving his thing and then just shoots it off to the side. <laughs> and then he shoots the invisible horseman. And you just see how mad they are at him of like, we shot up, we shot up. And it felt like their relationship too, which is like Steve Martin's just kind of going for it. And Chevy Chase is like, ah, I'm, are we rapping by five? Like I've got to go. But, <laughs> but it works in the comedy of this movie for me. Yeah, and I think that's it, is the three of them, and maybe that's part of it, too, is in that scene, it just shows how the three characters are through the whole movie, and it's just very, like, distilled right there. I don't know. It's just super funny. It was funny to young Elise, and it continues to be funny to old Elise, quite honestly, so. I mean, it's a great choice. One of the things, because this is the best worst uh, movie i want to talk about what is your best worst line when you're looking at it what really stuck out to you as kind of a terrible but also wonderful line i mean the you shot the invisible horseman is really really great i think the other line that just makes me laugh so much is like when he goes and they're they're facing el guapo and then he's there and he's like, he gets shot. <laughs> and then he gets shot. And then he's like, okay, guys. And I, what's weird, and this will make me make it really heavy, is I couldn't help but thinking about Alec Baldwin in the middle of that scene and like safety protocols. Because the way he reacts is like a safety protocol has been broken. He's like, he's like, oh, great. Okay, everybody stop. We got to stop this. We have something serious in our hands. And then he walks over and the line that just makes me laugh, he's like, oh, great real bullets you're in a lot of trouble mister (laughs) and the comedy works so well because we all know that they have no idea what's happening to them and he just like leans right into it and so that like real bullets line just makes me laugh so much and i think it's like a great line it's a horrific line it just kind of works on every level yeah absolutely i think my favorite best worst line it's when they've all broken into El Guapo's little compound there. And when they all swing in, they all have all their little problems of swinging in. And Martin Short, Ned gets caught up in one of the pinatas and he's just holding there for who knows how long, which is also just kind of funny in and of itself. And as it comes out, it's right after the scene that you mentioned earlier with uh, Chevy Chase giving the, the rapes the horses and what rode off, off on the woman yep. Yep. <laughs> line. And then I think Steve Martin shows up and El Guapo just is so frustrated. And he's like, what? Are gringos just falling from the sky? And that is the point where Ned lets go from the uh, thing or the pinata gives way. And I just, it's such a dumb line, <laughs> but it just cracks me up. I don't know. Again, it's just like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> 
I remember that line actually in the trailer, and just I think that was the moment that made me want to see it. Was you see this like three amigo like falling on the table, and he's like, "Oh, great, Gringo's falling from the sky." And when I was a kid, again, I just thought that was comedy gold, and I think right. it plays. It um, still does, yeah. <laughs> it totally does. It's like super corny, but oh my goodness, I just think it's it's wonderful. And again, it's good comedy because what makes it work is like they do this dramatic, like epic music, this epic Randy Newman music. And then he's swinging like through the sky and then you see him like kind of get stuck in a pinata and he's stuck there for probably like 15 minutes of runtime in the movie. Like Chevy Chase goes on an adventure. Steve Martin's on an adventure. Like all this other stuff is happening. And then, you know, he's just stuck up there and then he falls at this perfect comic moment. Excellent. It's just wonderful. Oh, my. So who would you say is the best worst character or even just like a favorite amigo, something like that? Yeah, I think um, I'm really I was really thinking about it this time of like, who is my favorite amigo? Mm -hmm. I'd probably say Steve Martin, who plays Lucky Day. is just you can feel that he knows he's a writer of this movie and he knows exactly how he wants the amigos being played they're kind of all into it they're vain they're kind of stupid and he just like owns that part but again i think him with chevy chase who's just so like and chevy chase is notoriously like kind of not popular (laughs) offset (laughs) um and there's a whole probably a whole chevy chase podcast we could do but i still like (laughs) for whatever reason just i love chevy chase i love his movies and He's just, he's, it's such a perfect compliment to him of just being disinterested. Like, do you have anything besides Mexican food? You know, he's just like <laughs> not getting what movie he's in. And then Steve Martin is all in on it. So I think right. that combination is just like the best worst that really works for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Lucky Day is definitely my favorite as well. But I think I'm just, of the three actors, I'm pretty all in for Steve Martin in just about whatever he does, quite Absolutely. honestly. Chevy Chase, I could take or leave most of his movies, quite honestly. He has moments where he get where I can get with what he's doing. But generally speaking, I'm kind of meh on him. But oh my goodness. But I will say that the three of them together are this like, I don't know, it's like the pinnacle of all of them. I think they just do this unbelievable job together. It's this ridiculous ensemble cast and yeah it just makes me happy i I mean this is them at their apex like i mentioned it at the top but like you know steve martin has done such incredible work he's a onstage comedian he's a musician but he may have never been quite as popular as this and some of chevy chase like he was offered the tonight show he had this whole kind of journey um i think for me part of my soft spot for chevy chase it's just Clark Griswold because mm. the Christmas vacation movie and even the other vacation movie, he's kind of like the image of like what I want to be as a dad, which probably sounds really weird and dark, <laughs> but like, he's just this dad who's like, it doesn't matter if everything's going to hell and everything's on fire around us. We're going to have fun, you know? And like, he just has that in him. And I think like that character I love so much that like, I probably give Chevy way too much of a pass and I acknowledge it way too much of a pass for everything else that he does. No, that's fair. I mean, he was in community and despite his character being a horrible person, he also like adds to that cast significantly For in, sure. in, ter- in terms of like the story. For sure. <laughs> I also think like for me, the best worst character a little bit 
feels like El Guapo. Yes. Because he's this, I mean, Alfonso, I think it's Aru. I'm not sure. I apologize if I've destroyed his last name. But he is so excellent in this. Like, when he gets the gift from the men, and it's a sweater in whatever, (laughs) 1920-something, it's just he just has this like genuine love for it though. It's not it's yes. a sweater and it's just wonderful. And he plays everything so great. I mean, I think of like the plethora scene is one of those things that I thought about. I don't know. I mean, that was the word you learned from three amigos. Everyone knows what that word means because of three amigos. Like exactly. it's probably in our dictionary more and used so much more because of three amigos. Exactly. Like the th- Three Amigos expanded our vocabulary. So if for no other reason than that, it's a great movie. So, yeah. I I was actually thinking about him and I was like, I can't think of another villain in a comedy that's quite as iconic. Like, I'm sure it's there and I'm sure if I Googled it, but I'm like, being a villain in a comedy is such a thankless job. And like, maybe outside of like Dr. Evil or something like that, but like, even that's more of a showcase. He's kind of meant to just be this like straight up villain, but like there's so many clever things they do. The first time we meet him, for some reason, he's taken this like Lawrence of Arabia picture with like, I, I still don't know what they're doing, but like everyone's dressed up like Jafar and Aladdin and this sort of tribe and they're taking a picture of it and he's just all into it. And I was just like, right. I love this guy who's just weird. Right. <laughs> he's great. And he manages to not be goofy i think that's what works is he's funny without being like goofy if that right, like, like you still feel know. like this guy is gonna kill them like, like right. there is real stakes in it and even right. the scene that i referenced before real bullets he's like you know we only kill men not crying women and he's playing that a little bit for jokes but he's more just like that's who i am like i am a leader of a gang and you guys aren't even worth my time and he does play it menacing enough to where it's like okay i believe that this guy is out to like rape and pillage and do bad stuff yeah it is it's just this perfect perfect blend of scary but not scary at all like it's it's excellent i just think he's just this a really excellent character there for sure great choice great choice elise (laughs) well because you do uh the meaning of the movie i wanted to talk to you uh do you feel like there is meaning in Three Amigos or is this just a, you know, silly 80s comedy? So can I give a two-part answer to this because I've thought so much about it? Absolutely. Okay, so part one of the meaning of the movie is I'm going to read you a list of movies. Die Hard, Rocky, Halloween, Three Amigos. What do all of those movies have in common? Well, they all created, like, a genre in and of themselves. Die Hard created a million, like, Die Hard on a bus, Die Hard on a plane, die, you know, like, a million knockoffs. Rocky, every single sports movie, pretty much since it came out, is a knockoff on Rocky. Halloween, obviously, pretty much invented the slasher thran- franchise. We have Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Friday the 13th and all these other movies that came out after Halloween. And Three Amigos is not quite on the same plane as all of those but there are a lot of different like three amigos knockoffs Mm. or at least like inspiration films there's tropic thunder there's a bug's life and most famously maybe there's galaxy quest that are pretty much repackages of three amigos and so it it created its own little subgenre 
And I think that's a really important place in its history of like, anytime there's this sort of like, oh, Hollywood actors have to like go into a real life situation, like that premise just works every single time and I'm in for it. So that's my meaning part one. Any thoughts on that? No, I think that's excellent. And that's something I hadn't really considered, but yes, I appreciate it. No, very good. So my second meaning, which is more like the movie itself, which is like, I actually do think there's a soul to this story. I think this is a movie about imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, something that may not even been around or phrased like that when this movie came out. But this is a movie about what it means to have others believe in you and save them and think you're capable of something that you're not capable of doing. It's mm-hmm. a movie of what it means to be like, oh, I think I'm awesome. But then really, I learned that I'm a fake, right? And so like Galaxy Quest has that moment with Jason Nesmith, played by Tim Allen, where he thinks he's amazing and gets broken all the way down. It's like, no, I'm just an actor. Like, there's nothing to me. There's nothing there. And so you see like this moment where they all realize, like, they come back to the town and they're like, hey, can we get our stuff? And Chevy Chase is like, yeah, I had some cufflinks I was missing, you know, <laughs> while their town is just decimated. Right. <laughs> but but Steve Martin, who, again, is the soul of the Amigos, is like, hey, not now, uh, Dusty. This is a time th- these people are hurting. And he realizes, like, we failed them. Right. We have let them down. And where they have to get to is like, you know what? There's nothing left for us in Hollywood. There's nothing for us if we can't actually help these people. And so he goes and he has to learn, hey, we can't save the day on our own. But if we actually lean in and try to do something meaningful and embrace the people around us, like they don't get to beat El Guapo except with the help of the villagers. It's actually when they learn to collaborate and partner with villagers that they're able to be the villain. And I do think that's the soul of it. And that's what this movie means and what it's about. Totally. Yeah, that was kind of along the lines of what I felt when I was thinking about this, was just this idea. One of my favorite things, and it's it's funny, but it's also was kind of this like motivator for me for a long time was when Lucky is sitting there at the end and they're talking about when they get back to Santa Poco and El Guapo and his men are coming and they're just going to take it all out they're going to destroy everything and he talks about each of us has our own personal el guapo (laughs) for some and it is it's funny you know for some a lack of education may be their personal el guapo and then he's like you know but we can all defeat our personal el guapo that happens to be a big angry scary man but there is this kind of thing where i would think sometimes in my own life like oh this is the el guapo that i yeah. need to defeat right now and it is it's just that that collaboration of like yeah but i can't do it by myself i need to do it with people and i think that to me is kind of that beautiful lovely little thing in this really goofy movie is it's not them coming in to save the day it's them working with the people and they have no skill in fighting <laughs> so, you know, what's Santapoco good at we can sew right great that's not helpful <laughs> in any way but they take this thing this meager you know talent that they have and they still are able to use it and I think that is still a 
powerful thing that we can remember is that it doesn't have to be, oh, we're all like excellent swordsmen or, you know, these sharpshooters or any kind of thing. It's just, we can sew. Well, we can use that as a distraction kind of measure or whatever. I think that's neat that nothing that we have as people is something that can't, yeah, benefit those around us. So, yeah, I, I think I think that lot, that whole se- I I think about this monologue all the time. First of all, mm-hmm. and all the time, maybe too much, but not by much because <laughs> it really is a meaningful little monologue to me. And I do that moment of like we can sew, and they're like, okay, you know, but they and they use it is so great. Um, and and even at the end of the movie, another thing I love about the structure is in the silent film, you know, they give them the money and then they give it back. And then at the end of the movie, they have that same sort of thing of like, hey, our reward was actually doing the right thing. And they learn this lesson of like, our reward actually was helping you. We came here for 100,000 pesos, but what we found was our soul. And maybe that's too cheesy or too much or too strong. But I do think comedy at its core is trying to teach us something. And that's what this movie is trying to teach us. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking about this really not terrible at all, but rather excellent movie. It is Masterpiece. Just, yeah, it's wonderful. And I believe that we have fully defeated the 1986 critics, including Siskel and Ebert both, who I'm, I'm sad to say we're just super wrong about this one. You were wrong on this one, fellas. You made so many great choices, but this is the time you were wrong. Good job, Elise. <laughs> thanks again to Rob for stopping by. And thanks to you, too. You can keep up with what's going on at our Facebook page. And if you want to help others find this podcast, head to wherever you listen to rate and review. That really does help get the word out. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Best Worst Movies.